We are in a series uh, which is titled, I Love to Tell the Story. Now, one thing we have talked about already is last year was a rebuilding year. It was a year of coming together uh, because of things and because of COVID and because of breaks and then coming back and getting back to being a family with a family atmosphere. We had a really good year last year. And we cannot focus on ourselves and be doing what Christ told us to do. Yes, we need to grow spiritually, but the one way that we do that is by giving him away. So during this year, we are going to be doing different things to actually help and equip and to encourage you in your walk to talk about Christ because I read this in a, of all places, a fortune cookie. And it stuck with me. Very simply, this fortune cookie, with 20 years ago, it said, one learns most when teaching others. In other words, you really want to know what you know and what you believe? Yeah, uh, math teacher's over here going, yep. (laughs) Uh, What you do is you need to be able to explain it to somebody else and not just know how to actually do it. So there are portions of this series over the next month that are really not for your heart, but for your hands. And we're going to be talking about some basics And yes, I think there will be something here for you to pick up on as we move through. But some of it also, you might go, oh, I already know that already, and you'll check out, and then you'll be in a position to talk to somebody, and you will have forgotten the process that's been taught over these last several weeks. Um, I don't want you to do that. You'll note in the bulletin, there is a place that once again, and I know this happens, you look in there and you go, oh no, Eric's going to go an hour and a half because I can see all of this stuff he's put in here. No, this is going to go pretty quickly. Do you know why I do this? Two reasons. One, if you look up, you look down, your hand moves, I might keep you awake. And the other is somewhere down the line, maybe you have filed this someplace and something comes to mind and you'll have this as an easy reference to go back to. Whether it's this week or it's any other week. I guess there's a third thing. I want there to be some white space on here. So if I stimulate your remembering a different scripture or a different story or a name comes to mind of somebody that the Lord is putting on your heart to go talk to, that you'll write it down. And it keeps you engaged, and it keeps you focused. So, I thank you for that. What must I do? Simple question. We're going to be over in Acts 16. If you have your Bibles with you, you can flip over there. We're going to be starting roughly about verse 16. 
So uh, if you would, just go ahead and pull your Bibles out and flip. But when we are looking to share the good news of Christ, we're going to have several different responses that come up. Because some people who hear about Christ, they are, they are indifferent about it. I think of um, Festus. Do you remember Festus? Paul's in prison. And Festus actually enjoyed bantering with Paul and listening to Paul. So he would bring Paul up, not because he had an interest in Christ, but because he enjoyed just talking with him. And in his heart, he was looking for a bribe. But as far as Christ was concerned, he was indifferent. You'll find some people who are intrigued, but that's as far as it goes. I think of um, King Agrippa. You remember him and Paul? Where Paul stood before him, told him his life story, told him about Christ. And Agrippa listened, but went, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you think that in talking to me about this, you're going to make me become like you? Though he was intrigued, he didn't see any reason for Paul to be under arrest, much less under the threat of death. He was intrigued, but that was all. And some people that you talk to might be incensed. Let's start there at Acts 16, verse 16. Once when we, we, meaning Paul, Silas, Luke, others that were with them, once where we were going to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune teller. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Wow! Can you imagine being there and walking with Paul or being in the crowd or seeing this and all of a sudden see this woman's countenance totally change? To know that a miracle had happened? Yet instead of being pleased that this young girl was free from the devil's death grip, Instead of being awed by the display of divine power, her owners were incensed. They were mad. They were angry because they saw their prophets going out the window. 
Where's their focus? All right here, right? They act out of selfishness, out of self-profits, and they missed the one thing from which they could have permanently profited from that would have preserved them for eternity. Some people are just going to be incensed. Yet some that you will meet will know that they have a need, but they aren't real sure what it is. Those that were upset and mad with Paul had him thrown in prison. He and Silas were arrested, imprisoned, beaten, and left. Let's jump down to about verse 25, if you would. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. All at once, all of the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains became loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out of that jail cell and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This man has a need. He's not really sure what it is. But he knows one thing. His life is in jeopardy. But this is the first step that people have to get to if they're going to really hear and take the gospel in. They have to get to a point where they realize their need. You think about it. Anybody here go to a doctor just simply because, hey, I've got nothing better to do today. I feel like spending $600. I'll just go see a doctor. No. And in fact, I would even bet if you're feeling really, really good, even though he's told you or she's told you to come back in six months, you might just call and say, no, I'm doing good. I'm not going to come in. Right? See, it's the hurting that need a doctor. Those who realize that they're sick, that they have a need. The second step is to be willing to look for a solution. We read in Matthew 7, 7. Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. By the way. Those aren't commands, even though that sounds like command voice in English. You ask, okay? What they are are participles, what we would call an I-N-G word. It's a process word. 
The idea is keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking. What is behind that? It's the recognition of a need and a search for cure. But Jesus tells us, Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. If you go back and you look at the context there in Matthew 7, it is about seeking God. And those who seek him will find him when they seek him with all of his heart. By the way, that's Jeremiah 29. You want to write that in the the sidebar there? You go look that up sometime this week. This jailer realized that if the prisoners had escaped, he would be under the penalty of death. You guys know, we've talked about it before, but in Roman society, if you were in charge of a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, you were then under the threat of whatever punishment that they were there for. And you would be held that way until that person could be find, found. Okay? But this jailer is looking to save his life, his skin. And Paul sees an opportunity because you see, Paul wants his life to be saved. Step three, we have to respond to the word. Paul, Silas, they tell the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This is a causal sentence. You do this and this happens, right? When you believe in the Lord, you will be saved. Very simple sentence. More to it behind it, but it's a simple sentence, yes? Believe in the Lord and you will be saved. The word believe here is the word pistis. It's the word for faith. It is the idea of trust in the Lord. It is the idea of obey the Lord. Because biblically, faith is not simple intellectual assent. It's not belief in the English term belief. It is belief to the point of action. That belief that is expressed by what we do. But I got a question for you here because I look at this and, and it's one of those things that comes to my mind and I, I look at it and I wonder and I look at other scriptures and why didn't Paul say believe in the Savior? Ever thought about it? Or is this just me? <laughs> why doesn't he say believe in the Savior. Now, he is Savior, yes? Acts 14, 12, Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Yes, Peter's right. 
But have you ever stopped and looked closely at Peter's confession? Matthew 16, we go over. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we're familiar with this, right? In fact, we call this what? We call this the good confession. Yes? In fact, it is one that by tradition we have anybody who wants to come into into the body of Christ. It is a confession we ask everyone to make. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't Peter say, Savior? You are the Savior. Why didn't he say that? There seems to be a lot of emphasis in preaching today. I think it's a question we ought to ponder. Because among other things, there's a concept here that people need to understand. Martha, John 11, Martha, her brother Lazarus has died. She sent word to Jesus to come before Lazarus died so that Jesus, who had the power to save him, might do so. Buddy Terry. And by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead, what? Four days. Jesus is talking with Martha down around John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, we can stop and Think about what does it mean to live in Christ, but lives and believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, why didn't Martha say, I believe you're the Savior? Christ is not a synonym for Savior. Sometimes we think that way because we use Savior, Lord, Christ, and we kind of interchange them. But they really point to different things. The word Christ relates directly to the word Messiah. It means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, we see those who are anointed, prophets, priests, and kings. They're anointed for a specific purpose. Jesus, as we know in Scripture, is all three 
of those. But the word Christ, the anointed one, points to his authority and our submission to his authority. Now we have over the last little bit, we've talked about coming up into the new year, we talked a little bit about covenant and God making covenant and what that means. And God established a new covenant, a blood covenant, sealed in Christ's blood. We talked about the fact that in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, blood covenant was the highest and strongest form of covenant. It goes all the way back to Genesis 15 and Abraham. In the New Covenant, what we see in the New Testament, it is sealed by the spilt blood of Christ. Where do we come in contact with that blood? Two places today. One, through communion. And the other is in the waters of baptism. Covenant makes demands on both parties, not just on one. One party certainly can set the terms. A conquering king sets the terms. They are the ultimate authority of that moment. Our covenantal agreement that we make with Jesus, when you stop and think about it, is not that he is Savior. Our covenant is that he is Christ. Ever stop to realize that we say that that is what we believe? That we put our faith in the knowledge that Jesus is the ruling authority and we pledge allegiance to him? We don't say Savior. We say King. We used to sing that. Remember that old song? King of my life, I crown you now. You see, we are announcing a readiness to serve him as king and our desire to be his subjects, to submit to his authority. So our confession, when we make that confession, we are choosing to obey, not to be saved. Yet we are saved because we choose to obey. Because it's covenant. He is Savior when he is both Lord and Christ. Our half is in serving him. His half is 100% pure grace. Our half is when we live and believe in Christ. Back to Acts 16.33. We see this played out right here. 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. And this is that next step. Respond by softening your heart and in baptism, which is where we come into covenant with God. Why that process? I got three words for you. You know what they are? I don't know. But this I do know. It's the process that the Lord established. And it has something to do with blood covenant that was known throughout the ancient world. The cross is a sacrifice of covenant. It is a covenantal sacrifice. And we enter that covenant through the blood path when we come in contact with the blood. And yes, it's metaphorical in a sense, but in a sense, it's real in the waters of baptism. There are 13 separate specified responses in the Bible where it says a particular person or a particular people group believed and immediately it says they believed and they were baptized 13 different times. Lydia is one of them. Lydia, we're looking at Acts 16, it's right before this that we're looking at today. So it's right there in that same chapter. Then we have the jailer, We have Cornelius, we have the Ethiopian, we got the 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. There's even some of John's followers who come to understand. And though they were baptized by John, they are baptized into Christ. And in each case, where a specific person or a people group are mentioned, it says they believed and were baptized. process. Peter says that baptism is the pledge of a good conscience before God. 1 Peter 3.21, write it down. Paul tells us that baptism is where we put on, where we are clothed with Christ. He says that's where we receive the hope of resurrection, Romans 6, 1 through 10, Romans 13, 14. He says, put on, clothe yourselves with righteousness, with Christ. Galatians 3, 27. He says, all who have been baptized into Christ have put on, they have clothed themselves with Christ. Jesus our Lord, the one who has undisputed possession of who we are, who was anointed King Christ by God, he established that we enter into this covenant through baptism. And that pattern is repeated in the New Testament every time a specific individual or group comes into the body of Christ. 
look at it, read it. You want to talk about it, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. But read. Look there at verse 34. In finishing this down, the jailer brought out brought them, Paul and Silas, uh, into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe, to put his faith in God, he and his whole family. You see, the proper response to Christ brings the appropriate reaction. When we enter into covenant with God, the result, we see it here with the jailer, is a joy and a peace and a willingness to serve Christ. Because you see, friend, when we understand that he is the Christ and we submit to him as Lord, that is when forgiveness and salvation are offered in return. In other words, he is Savior when he is both Lord and Christ. Friends, my prayer for each and every one of you and for those who you talk with, that you become to a place where you know the Lord Jesus. You crown him king of your life. You show your willingness to follow, to believe in him, that you put your trust in him and that you will take him as Lord of your life so you can experience his salvation. And I'm going to leave you with this. The words of Ananias to Paul after the road on Damascus, after at least three days of fasting, Ananias came and sat with Paul and he finishes with this. He says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Father God, we thank you that you have not left us poor, that you have not left us alone, that you have given us your word. You have given us encouragement through those who wrote, who walked with you, spoke with you, who encourage us in this life. We thank you, Father, for Paul and for the encouragement that he gives and the way he points directly to you. And we thank you, Father, for John and how he tells us in uh, his revelation, in his apocalypse, that there's nothing that can separate us from you because you will overcome. And when we are faithful, we win. We thank you, Father for those that you will put in our path this year. 
And we pray, Father, that you will use us and grow us and mature us, not only as we draw closer to you, but as we reach out to draw others to you as well. This week, Father, as we ponder, may our hearts be open to your spirit. May we be willing to be your hands and your feet with your good news of grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.